The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. episode of Sharp Lessons. We are Stadium Sports Betting Podcast. Ben Wittenstein, Michael Rizzo, Nate Jacobson, the professor with you. Guys, another Tuesday, we got game six upon us for the NBA. We just came off uh, an open championship Colin Morikawa victory over across the pond. Um, We'll be talking about that, Nate, I'm sure in the uh, coming segments, but it was a pretty fun open. It seemed like it was uh, pretty dramatic towards the end there on Sunday afternoon, but uh, Morikawa came out the winner. Yeah, it looks like Rizzo wants to say something, so I'll let him start first. <laughs> I just, uh, I am becoming, I mean, I already was a very big Colin Morikawa fan, but the guy is just nails. I, For being so young and, you know, as he's pulling away a bit, the announcers are reminding everyone that at the first major he won, there was no crowd. So maybe the crowd would get to him and it just wasn't the case. He made tough shot after tough shot, tough putt after tough putt, uh, really didn't let himself ever have a chance to really uh, blow it. It was whether or not the other people were going to birdie enough to catch him and they weren't able to, and I think it's to the point now where any time I see Morikawa's odds drift in that 33, 35, maybe even 40 to 1, we might not see that again for a long time. Uh, he's kind of got to be an auto bet for me. His game is too refined, and if you happen to run into the week where the putter is working well, he's going to go low. So I was very happy to see him win. I'm a big uh, Colin Morikawa fan, and uh, I'm excited to continue to make money on him in the future. <laughs> yeah, the reason I wanted it for you to start off is because when we had Alex Simmons on, on last week for our Wednesday show, we did a full open preview, and you asked us, what do you think thoughts on Colin Morikawa? His price has kind of drifted, but there was concerns about his experience in, in Lynx golf, which we... Uh, we saw the week before at the Scottish Open when he really struggled in, in his debut ever at a Lynx course, which is kind of the, the oldest form of golf. No trees. Uh, just all the courses on the coast in England are like that. So every coast that or tournament that's uh, the Open Championship is played at is a Lynx course. And he ends up winning, which is absolutely insane just because of the context and the situation he was in and. No one thought he could play at a course like that or his ex- inexperience would, would be a detriment to him, and it clearly wasn't. And it did help that the weather wasn't too wild this weekend, and he was able to really attack pins. And as Rizzo said, Sunday he made all the putts and a lot of saves and important birdies and really kind of just outlasted Spieth and Oosthuizen and not too much drama at the end when it could have been a lot of drama. We've seen past open championships where players have totally collapsed on the back nine. And last month at the U S open, just a ton of players melted down on the back nine, but Morikawa stood strong and two majors before 25 is very impressive. And he's going to be 
a player we talk about for years to come anytime a major championship is played. It was funny. I was talking to a couple people when Louis was was winning and talking to them about going into Sunday and Saturday afternoon, and they were they were all like, "Ah, it's he's not going to be leading for long. It's classic <laughs> Louis who stays in to just give up the lead, and he's he's definitely not going to be winning this. It's that's a tough reputation to to get rid of for him. It is. He's never won in the United States, which is been crazy. Um, I mean, this wasn't in the United States, but he's had some close calls at the PGA Championship and U.S. Open. This year, uh, he's he's up there in the FedEx Cup standings, and that the FedEx Cup playoffs are next month in August. So maybe he can cash that $15 million check that goes to the winner of the Tour Championship, and that would be a nice consolation prize after three close calls in the last three majors this season. <laughs> All right, we'll talk about the 3M Open coming up, uh, but we do have NBA Game 6 tonight. We have an possible elimination game for the Phoenix Suns with the Bucks up 3-2. to two. The line for this one is Bucks minus 5 as they return home after winning Game 5 on the road in Phoenix. The total at 222 right now. Um, I, all, I could start off by saying I really like the total. I like the under, um, and I talked about this with Zach on, on our Points in the Pain podcast about how I just think everything's going to slow down, um, and we saw the game go over in Game 5. Uh, they There was no defense being played in big portions of that game, and I think the complete opposite is going to happen in Game 6 where we see the defenses really ramp up um, with the Suns liking to play slow at times, especially with their backs against the wall and the Bucks knowing that they could win the title in one game. I think everything is going to slow down. These teams are going to be really careful with their offensive possessions. They're not going to try to rush anything. And especially if it's close down the stretch, we're going to see the game slow down even more. So I think the pace is going to be a lot slower than what we saw in game five. I think the Suns are going to try to control it as much as they can. And we know Chris Paul likes to slow things down at times. I really do like the under for this one. Um, Sidewise, I don't know if any, either of you feel strongly about a side on this one, but I, I may stay away as long as it spreads at around five. Yeah, I'm with you there on the under. I mean, I was on under 218 when we did the show last Friday, and the, it got up to 220 at close. So I had the really the wrong idea backing the under at 218 when it ended up getting steamed up on game day. And I did listen to the points of the paid podcast this morning to prepare for this, kind of see maybe <laughs> a hint at what Ben was going to like going into the show. Just we're we're down to the uh, end of the NBA Finals and. It's hard to bet into some of these numbers. So I just kind of want to see where Ben was thinking. But Zach made a good point. I don't know if there's any any credence to it, but he mentioned that when the games have been in Phoenix, they've been fast-paced, West Coast-style basketball, which might just be totally a narrative. But, I mean, all three games in Phoenix have gone over. The two in Milwaukee, three and four went under. So maybe there's something to that, that we're going back on the East Coast. Yeah. Another long trip. Uh, there has been... The normal two days off between travel days, which we wouldn't get for a potential game seven, which would be on Thursday. But yeah, I, I do like the under. I just think there's going to be a lot of shooting re- regression tonight. The Bucks shot 50% from three. The Suns shot 68% from three. And both teams sh- shot well over 55% each from the field in game five. I thought the game would play out totally different. And that's why I like the Chris Middleton under points as my NBA prop bet of the year, which looked good in the first quarter <laughs> when did. he was one for six or one through seven to start and at eight points then at halftime. But then he got like 11 really quick points in the third quarter. But my idea for that game was a lot of players would struggle to score and it would go under. So 
now that we're at 222 with the total in a game six of the NBA finals, when usually the totals drop throughout the series. And now we're at one of the highest totals of the series under makes a lot of sense, especially because both teams shot so well in game five. Yeah. You know, I, um, I like what you guys said about the under, I don't, have a lean when it comes to the spread I think if you think the Bucks are going to win I would feel okay uh laying the four and a half or the five depending on where you get it because I do think this is you know your game seven where even if they're down by six seven eight sometimes that range where you see in the NBA that teams don't foul you're going to get them fouling here tonight to potentially let the Bucks push it to 10, maybe more. Um, player props wise, I don't know. This is a tough best bets one for me. I had Brooks Lopez under 15 and a half and he had nine and six and he played a lot of minutes and he was in down the stretch in the fourth. But thankfully for me, there's no worse seven foot rebounder in the league than Brooks Lopez <laughs> and Brooke Lopez. So uh, I got a little lucky there. Um, his numbers up to 16 and a half on the points, rebounds and assists. But like I said, he did play, I think over 25 minutes last game. So the opportunities were there. So I don't know if I'm going to go back to that. Well, um, for now I am waiting and seeing, going to see what line movement we might get leading up to tip off. And, uh, I'm still, I'm still looking at the numbers, trying to find a best bet here for the people. I don't, I don't know if I have one just yet. It's tough. It, everything is they with six games or five games now into the sixth game. These line makers just know everything to a T at this point. You're, it's going to be very hard to find a really good number. I mean, I've looked at the Chris Paul double doubles. That's a plus 120. So I don't know if you're going to get great value from that anymore. But Nate, it's tough. It's tough to find a good number right now. And as it should be. I mean, the NBA Finals is a heavily bet event. There's not many other sports going on right now. And you know, if there's a line that's wrong, people are going to bet and shape that into the right position. So it's not even like the odds makers are setting the right lines or letting the the bets, the respected betters and the public betters kind of drive the number. But I think it's yeah, we know what these teams are at this point, especially knowing that Giannis is healthy. I think that was the big unknown going into the series, his health. But he's been spectacular throughout this series. And now that we see the Bucks favored by four and a half, five at home, and they close as a three and a half point underdog on the road, if you kind of take home court, which I guess for both teams is worth four points, the Bucks are just like one point better on a neutral court. If they played game seven on a neutral court and, and the Suns won and everything was kind of as is, I guess the Bucks would be favored by one. So Bucks slightly better than the Suns. And I think based on how the series has played out, that's kind of accurate. So this line is correct. And if the line is correct, you really can't bet into it for a serious amount of money unless you're just trying to have some fun and some action on who you want to win. So I think this line is perfect unless there's something you might see different in the game. But I, I think we know what these teams are so uh, at this point. Yeah. And if you like the Bucks, there's some places that have them at minus four and a half. Um, I'm seeing minus five at a lot of places, but there's also a couple books that have them at minus four and a half. So depending on where the money's going, maybe it's leaning a bit towards Phoenix right now with that line going down to minus four and a half. But if you like the Bucks, if you can get a minus four, minus four and a half, I think that's a it's a, it's a solid number. I like it a lot more than I like minus five. 
And with with the live betting options we have, and I mean, instead of betting them plus three and a half right at close after the Bucks took a lot of money late on Saturday, you could have got them at a, a much bigger number after the first quarter, and and you wouldn't have really had much of a sweat as the game ended um, as it did on Saturday. So with the live betting options, there's really no reason to bet into this number pregame and force a bet when you could look either the other way where if the Bucks got out to a hot start in, in game five, I could have seen a bet on the Suns live as, as the way to go. So you could kind of choose who, which team you want to bet based on how it plays out in the NBA. There's been a lot of runs. We've seen a lot of teams blow, blow big leads uh, this playoffs. And uh, I think you have to kind of embrace that in the NBA and, and, and look to bet live and not just before the game. What about, um, so we got the Suns on the series price right now at about plus 325, plus 300, depending on where you look. Um, Chris Paul to win MVP is seven to one in some places. So I think that's something where if you do still believe in the Suns and you can see them coming back and forcing a game seven and ultimately winning at home, uh, this is uh, one we've talked about. It's a narrative-driven award. If they win, if the Suns win, we do believe Chris Paul will get the MVP, even if the odds aren't saying that anymore right now, as Devin Booker seems to have passed him a little bit. But all it would take is uh, two good games from Chris Paul and two Suns wins, and and I still think he is the favorite on that team to win MVP. So I think that's one way to uh, attack it if you still like the Suns. Yeah, I mean, that's the best number you'll get for sure from from anything if you think the Suns are going to win the title because I don't think it's going to go to Devin Booker. We've seen Booker get 40, and, and he may score 40 again, but it's hard to see them not giving it to Chris Paul if the Suns win. I don't know. I, I really actually do think it, it could go to Booker. Just Paul hasn't been great, and I think that game four performance really sits poorly. I guess if the Suns do win, that means Chris possibly play better, but – if Chris Paul plays poorly like he did in game four and, and Booker carries the team, I, I, I think if you like the Suns, just bet him on the series price and don't try to get cute with the bigger payoff because three to one is still a pretty pretty big number, so I don't think you want to get too greedy there. Worth noting, though, speaking of Chris Paul, we got the ref assignments this morning. They always kind of come out the morning of the NBA game, and uh, Scott Foster, who I think a lot of people – casual NBA fans might even know of. If you don't know many refs, you probably know about Scott Foster. We can go deep into Scott Foster's uh, history, but won't <laughs> do that to save time. But basically, uh, the key tonight, Foster is the lead ref. Chris Paul is 0-12 in his career in playoff games, ref by Foster. So if you are worried about the Bucks, maybe don't worry too much because of the trends when it comes to referee Scott Foster and Chris Paul. So maybe doesn't mean much, but uh, I don't know. 12 games is, isn't a huge sample size, but it's not like three or four games or something. Yeah, 12 games is pretty significant. And Foster did ref a game that the Suns won this year, but uh, this playoffs, but it was the game two against the Clippers that thrilling finish and Chris Paul was in health and safety protocol. So he wasn't on the court. So uh, just something worth noting. I'm sure as the afternoon proceeds, a lot of people are going to look at that Scott Foster trend and uh, make a, maybe a bigger deal about it than it should be. 
the real question is, does he have a Twitter account? Because he was trending this morning. And if he sees himself trending because of how poorly he's officiated Chris Paul games, does he then change his officiating knowing that people are going to be looking at him making bad calls against Chris Paul? You got to play mind games with something like this. Yeah. I mean, when you have 72 hours to try to think about and handicap this game, you just kind of think about maybe things that, uh, I don't know, you just get too creative and too, uh, you think of overthink things. Let's just say that. Yes, very true. All right, let's talk some golf. And we did a little bit of recap of the Open. Uh, Colin Morikawa's win. We do have the 3M Open coming up, Nate. Uh, and I know you wanted to give out some targets for that one. Yeah, so no article for me this week, but I will tweet out my final picks. And if you are subscribed to the Stadium Newsletter, I wrote have a little bit of a write-up on a few players and, and guys I, I like. So if you haven't subscribed to the Stadium Newsletter, make sure to do that on watchstadium.com. There's a little widget on the side where you can just drop your email in and it's free and it comes out three days a week just so everything we're doing here at at stadium uh so the 3m open it's only the third year of the tournament it started in 2019 it's played in minnesota uh not obviously not going to be a great field coming off a, a major across the pond but there are some players that are are making the trip dustin johnson's the tournament favorite uh, last year, he withdrew after the first round of the tournament. I, I think Rizzo had something. Were you on him in some way? I think I, I, I had him a few matchups. I wasn't on him because he was just far and away such a heavy favorite. But I do right. remember the week leading up, like any podcasts or articles you read, like the very first thing they said was like, well, Dustin Johnson's going to win. But if he doesn't, this is who might. And of course, he withdraws almost immediately so that yeah. was uh, a fun one he shot a fir first round uh 78 and then pulled himself off the tournament and the week Jeez. before maybe two weeks before it was the memorial and he shot back-to-back -back 80s so you're like oh dustin johnson's done but then he ends up absolutely dominating the rest of the season wins the tour championship which was that 15 million dollars that we mentioned earlier that louis ustazen maybe will have a shot at winning uh, in the, when the FedEx Cup playoffs, or I don't know if it's still FedEx, but the the uh, the playoffs for the golf, the PGA. Um, speaking of Louie, he is also in the field, which I surprised me a little bit. But he's the he's the second favorite, and then we have Tony Finau and Patrick Reed. All those guys, just no interest betting outright this week. Really, I'm targeting only players that didn't have to play in the open championship whether they chose not to or they played at the barbasol last week in kentucky uh two guys that i like this week my top targets who did not play the open championship matthew wolf i saw him as good as 33 to 1 he won the inaugural 3m champion open not championship 3m open uh, in 2019, he finished tied for 12th last year. We haven't seen much of Wolf this year, but he did flash at the U.S. Open last month. So the ceiling's there, and getting him at around 33 to one is probably going to be end up being 30 to one in most places. I can see him being popular since he is a former winner at this course, even though there's not much of a, a event history at the 3M Open. And then another guy, Bubba Watson, is playing very well. He was in control at the yeah. Travelers Championship last month probably was the betting favorite and live uh, with five holes to go. And then he went bogey, 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 double bogey to close the round, finished tied for 19th. 
He bounced back nicely, though, at the Rocket Mortgage in Detroit, finished tied for six. He also did not play the Open Championship. And if he won the Travelers like he should have, he'd probably be more like 22 to one. And I saw 35 to one this morning. So I think Bubba is the guy I kind of like the most, but also Wolf. A few other players I like. Uh, Hank Leviota, who's just in fantastic form, a lot of good finishes recent. Uh, he's trying to break through on the PGA Tour. Luke List, who has back-to-back top fives at the John Deere Classic and the Barbasol, a guy who I, I used to bet like three or four years ago just because he's a fantastic ball striker and a horrible putter, which is kind of the players I look for and I, I'm a sucker for just because if they can have one good putting week, they could win, a, win an event. Uh, Johnny Vegas, another guy I like, 75 to 1. I saw that. I can see that line going down. And then two guys who I just have bet recently and kind of FOMO bets because I don't want to miss out on them. Doug Gim, 65 to 1. And Bo Hogue, 130 to 1. So I think I actually might end up betting all seven of those players. The payout would be approximately if I bet uh, to win the same amount of money. It'd be about a seven to one, eight to one bundle on those players. And that's kind of my strategy for a, a tournament the week after a major, just kind of pick some guys, not favorites down the board and hope one hits. And, and if not, just move on to the next week. I like it. I think we'll, uh, Good luck to that. 3M. I don't know if I'm going to bet 3M. I don't I don't know nearly I, enough golf in this situation honestly, to probably feel if, comfortable. If I wasn't doing like, you know, the writings, writing and in this podcast, there could be a chance I sit this out and just try <laughs> to bet some live live bets. Uh, we'll have shot uh, tracker and and shot link data back, which we didn't have at the Open Championship. So there are some websites that you can look up in tournament stats and maybe make wise bets there kind of looking at players who struggled with the putter but were good with their irons good off the tee uh maybe they can flip after a, a struggles with the putter in the first round maybe you can look for a guy like uh, a patrick reed or a Finau if they if, if they're in that bunch and you don't want to bet bet them pre-tournament so um yeah this might be a wait week to sit off the uh, uh or sit back and and not bet on golf uh the olympics are next week so a lot of players who played in england made Naro Tokyo as they'll have the Olympic golf, which was a new thing in 2016 when they played in Brazil. Um, and then we'll have some better tournaments with a WGC in Memphis in August, and then three playoff events, including uh, two that are more uh, traditional golf tournaments, and then the Tour Championship, which has a unique format. So not as fun to bet, but definitely some good tournaments coming up with strong fields. This one... Not so good, but as a guy who follows uh, a lot of the golfers and, and bets on a lot of these players in the middle range, just kind of betting on the guys I like to bet on. And if they win, that'll be great. If not, oh, well. You know what else we have coming up? Very excited about this. College football. We got college football in how many days? Probably, what, 50 days, something like that? Very excited for uh, that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's about right. <laughs> we'll be uh, – so we're going to be going over – Team totals, schedules, and everything throughout the next couple of episodes, I'm guessing, Nate. Uh, we'll have SE, ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12. We'll go through them all in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but we wanted to do a little SEC this week. We'll look at some of the yeah. strength of schedules for the SEC team, win totals, everything like that. 
like, yeah, I wanted to save those three conferences later in the week, especially if we don't have a game seven, we might be lacking things to talk about. So we'll do three conferences later <laughs> in the week. Wanted to start with the SEC this week because it's SC media days. We're seeing a lot of quotes from coaches. I know Ed Orgeron and Dan Mullen took the stage yesterday or, you know, two of the coaches have bigger programs than the SEC at LSU in Florida. So a lot of talk about the SEC this week. And one thing I did last week, I kind of dug into my college football homework was looking at the schedule. So instead of like kind of looking at the who's returning and all that stuff, and I'll look more like at the quarterbacks later on uh, as we get close to the season. But it's kind of, you know, a lot of returning production this year because a lot of players had eligibility from last year. So I kind of looked into just the schedules and how maybe the win total of the uh, teams are based on the schedule more than their like actual power rating or how good they are. So I like looking to see, especially in conferences where it's imbalanced schedules, seeing the team's cross-division matchups. And in the SEC, there's eight conference games. Uh, you play each team in your division. So you have six games against your division, and then you have two cross-division games. And those cross-division games could end up being a huge difference on who's going to finish or win the division or finish you know, second or third or go over their win total or under their win total. So each team in the SEC has a permanent crossover, but they also have one like floating crossover, let's call it. So I was looking at the teams that have the toughest schedules based on their over that rotates, but also maybe some of their non-conference schedule. And the team that looks the maybe the unluckiest this year uh, based on schedule is Arkansas, who has been kind of the seller dwellers of the SEC for a, for a while now. Uh, towards the end of the Brett Bielema days and they had Chad Morris and, and now they have a full new coaching staff but they did have a nice season in the shortened year last year to kind of you know show that they are back and get some momentum for recruiting however this year they have to play obviously the SEC West so Alabama A&M LSU Ole Miss Auburn Mississippi State and then they have to go to Georgia as a rotating conference game and Georgia is one of the top five teams in college football. Arkansas also has a non-conference game against Texas, which maybe they're getting Texas at the right time compared to other Texas teams with new coach Steve Sarkeesian, but it's still a tough non-conference game for Arkansas. So Arkansas's win total is six right now. I think that kind of shows that Arkansas actually might be a pretty good team, but I can see them struggling to get to six and, and getting that all-important bowl game because they have to play at Georgia as a cross-division game. Uh, some other teams, I thought Auburn has a pretty tough schedule. Auburn's kind of unlucky because they always have to play Georgia as their permanent cross-division rival. And then Auburn, who also has a new coach, they fired Gus, Gus Melzon and a bit of a surprise. They have a non-conference game at Penn State, which is very kind of odd that a, an SEC team would go to Big Ten country for a, for a non-conference game. So Auburn's a team I could see struggling. Their win total is seven. So that kind of indicates that Auburn probably is going to have a down year. Florida is the unlucky team in the SEC East because they have to play Alabama as their rotating cross-division game. Uh, Florida also plays Florida State a non-conference, but not too difficult. And, and then Florida also plays LSU as a permanent cross-division game. So they're always kind of struggling to uh, – 
not struggling, but they're always maybe at a disadvantage compared to some other SEC East teams um, having to play at LSU, although LSU is kind of, you know, there's there's a lot of differing opinions on them this year, two years removed from a national title. Tennessee also, they have to play Alabama every year. They have to go to Tuscaloosa this year. Uh, they also have a new coach and looks like kind of a, a rebuild in Knoxville. And then South Carolina, and it's not so much conference play that kind of makes it life difficult for them, but they have to play Clemson at the end of the year every year, and that's just unfortunate for South Carolina. <laughs> and their win total is four with juice on the under. So those Ooh. are just some teams I think have tough division or tough schedules in the SEC, headlined by Arkansas. Um, and and when it comes to easy schedules, I mean Georgia and Alabama are the clear best teams in the SEC. Georgia's in the East and Alabama's in the West. They don't have to play each other in the regular season. Uh, Georgia's cross division game at Auburn, which they always play Auburn every year. They play our home Arkansas, so that's the probably the most favorable uh, rotating cross-division game you can get. Georgia does open the year, though, against Clemson, but it's kind of nice because it's in Charlotte, so it should be a split crowd. And if they lose that game, they still have a shot at the playoff because it is week one. It's better to lose early um, in the college football era than it is late. And I could see Georgia winning that game potentially. Alex came on last week and talked how much he likes Georgia and how Georgia – plus the points against Clemson would be a lean for him. Um, and then Alabama, they have to go to Florida as their rotating cross-division game. And Alabama opens the year against Miami in Atlanta, where I saw this early spread for that game was Alabama minus 18. And um, Miami's quarterback, De'Ara King, coming off a torn ACL, some question marks if he'll be ready for that game. Am Other I, than Alabama and, and and Georgia, though, I think Mississippi State kind of has the most favorable schedule in terms of teams and, and, and cross-division games because Mississippi State's SEC East opponent this year is Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt is a very – they're just not a good team. There's They kind of – you know, yeah. it's Vanderbilt. You, they lack resources and – they overachieved for for many years uh, earlier in this or last early part of last decade. So Mississippi State maybe can can make some noise this year. Uh, their non-conference games that are kind of tougher this year are North Carolina State and at Memphis. So uh, that's kind of stuff I look for and maybe a little preview for the rest of the week where I'll break down the ACC and Big Ten and Pac-12. But to start my college football research, I always like looking at the schedules and the cross-division games for each conference and also some of the non-conference opponents, which might reflect why a certain team has a win total where it is at. That Auburn-Penn State game is going to be at night, too, in Penn State. So that, you know, as much as people love Auburn, playing at Penn State at night early on in the season, that's going to be a really tough game for them. Yeah, especially Um, an Auburn team with a new coach, Brian Harrison from Boise State. So... You know, I'm sure I, I haven't yeah. looked too close to know what like Auburn's roster looks like. I know they have Bo Nix still there, but because they had a coach leave and now with the easiness of getting into the transfer portal and not having to sit out a year, um, I'm sure a lot of players have left the Auburn program. So I can see them having a tough year and they're probably regretting having to play Penn State on the road um, with a new coach in early in the year. So. 
we'll see what happens. But I will say Penn State, that's an early team, um, a team, uh, just a tease that has a pretty tough schedule when it comes to the Big Ten. Um, not include the Auburn game on their cross division. But, yeah, that should be a good game. And it's just looking at some of these non-conference games early in the college football year has me really excited to kind of preview all these teams, but also bet on a game-by-game basis, which we'll do plenty of. Yeah, that Alabama season, the win total is at 11.5. So if you think they can go undefeated, you hit that over. And that uh, there's even juice, I think, on the – it's on the under, minus 115, but the over is minus 105. So it's pretty – that's it's yep. it's Alabama, so it's tough to bet against them going undefeated, but yep. they do have a couple tough games. So yeah, we'll we'll talk ACC, Big Ten, Big Twelve, everything. Yeah, yeah. Both uh, Georgia and Alabama are minus four twenty-five to win their division, so <laughs> quite quite a big of a gap. Uh, Georgia yeah. and Florida were pretty close together, and last year Florida did win the SC East, but they did lose a lot of players, and Georgia has been recruiting at a ridiculous rate kind of in the same class as Alabama and Clemson the last few years. So they have the talent there. Now they just have to get coached up by Kirby Smart. Now let's do some best bets to finish off the episode today. We've got game six. We've got MLB, whatever you guys are feeling. Um, I love the under for game six. Under 222, I think, is my best bet. And We talked a lot about it in our game six analysis where – we just think it's just going to slow down. The the games in Milwaukee slow down. Maybe they go to Mars Cheese Castle before the game to get all that cheese, get filled up, slow down just a little bit. Um, but all the games in Milwaukee have been going under. The games in Phoenix have been going over, especially with the stakes as high in game six as they are. I am going to take the under. Pace is going to slow down. I think the defense is going to be a lot better than what we saw in game five. Um, I do like the other. I, I'm just surprised that it's this high. And Nate, you said it. It's one of the highest of the series that we've seen thus far. Um, so I was kind of surprised to see that, especially with it going later on in the series. We know the unders hit more later on in the series, especially with with the stakes as high as they are. So I like the under 222. Probably won't play it down too much under 221, 220. Um, if it gets below that, I may stay off. Um, but I do like it at under 222. And then I'll go over to baseball for my second best bet, the White Sox. Uh, Rizzo, are you going to be at the White Sox game by chance, hopefully? <laughs> because I'm going to do the White Sox minus one and a half run line uh, against the Twins. I took the Cubs minus one and a half run line against the Diamondbacks, uh, a bad team. So I think the, with the Twins not being as as good as the White Sox, I love the White Sox minus one and a half at plus 130 for the run line. I think it's pretty good value for that. Um, they're coming off a game-winning home run. Um, I think they're they're going to at least win this game, and, and I could see them winning it by two or more runs. Yeah, I'll keep this short because I thought we did a, a good job breaking down why we like the under tonight in the NBA game earlier in the podcast, so go back and check that analysis out. But game six, Suns, Bucks, under 222. That was my best bet on last show it was my best bet before game four i personally bet in game three so unders all the way the rest of the series for me especially if we get to a game seven but i have a feeling the bucks close it out tonight but under is my best bet love a good under agreement yeah ben uh i will not be at the white Sox game unfortunately for you but uh i do like the bet i do like the bet uh for me I am. I was looking at minutes played and shots taken and whatnot. And uh, Bobby Portis, the last three games, all which have been Bucks victories, has played 18 minutes or more, which is up from what he saw in games one and two. 
Um, his point total is seven and a half. Uh, it's actually plus money to take the over, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. Uh, some crazy eyes over seven and a half <laughs> at plus 106. So I hope uh, Bobby Portis makes the most of his 20 to 25 minutes tonight. Bobby Portis leading the Bucks to an NBA championship game six. Love it. All right, so those are our best bets for today. We will be back on Thursday. More college football, maybe game seven analysis. Maybe we'll just be talking about a Bucks NBA title yeah. victory. We could we uh, could talk about the 2021-2022 uh, title futures and yes. kind of see where the the Bucks and Suns line up. Because spoiler, they are not going to be the favorites. Yes, and maybe some uh, future NBA MVP picks as well. So we got a lot to talk about still coming up on Thursday. But for now, good luck to everyone on their game. Six bets, MLB bets, if you're doing some early golf bets too, um, and you listen to Nate talk about 3M. So good luck to everyone doing that, and we will see everyone on Thursday. (laughs) 